Our Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6, which is the whole thing, the last psalm in the whole book of Psalms. Before we read it, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning to hear your word, to think about your word, to be changed by your word and by your spirit into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you. It's been made possible not because of anything we've done. All we've done is separate ourselves from you, but made possible by Jesus who came to get us and bring us back home. I pray all these things in his name. Amen. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's... we may have to read that last verse one more time, just with a little little twist to it. It does say, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then it concludes by saying, praise the Lord again. So, we're going to say that first part uh, <laughs> is kind of the invitation to do just that. So, for those of you who are here who have breath, you'll... Join with me at the very end and say praise the Lord all together. Here we go. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise Praise the Lord. Lord. Very good. And then for your Hebrew lesson for the day, you know what hallelujah means. Praise the Lord. That's right. Our New Testament lesson, John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. It's going to be found on page 881 in your pew Bibles or 1686 in the large print. John 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, while the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve and was uh, not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. 
and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, we took a look at the very beginning of a letter that Peter wrote. Peter, uh, one of the twelve disciples, one of the first witnesses of the empty tomb on the first Easter morning. And we saw how the resurrection of Jesus changes everything, including uh, changing how Peter viewed suffering. We looked at that some last week. This week we're going to pick up where we left off in that letter, but before we do that, I have to tell you a story. This came from a dentist years ago. I assume it's a true story. He presented it as such. But apparently, one of his uh, patients, um, was she and her husband were doing some uh, home remodeling when she had to go in for some dental work. She went in for the dental work. She did... You know, they gave her the high-powered medications for it. She came home, spent a few days recovering. When she kind of really came to again and felt like herself, she goes back out, and she notices the whole kitchen floor has been finished, retiled, everything. And she goes to her husband, and she says, Oh, my goodness, thank you so much for getting that all retiled. And he says, You can thank me all you want, but you're the one who did it. And she had no memory of having done any of that at all because she had still been under the influence of the dental medications. I tell you that as a story to terrify you the next time you have to go... No, I'm just kidding. Um, You may remember. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was just before Diana was getting ready to have the same medication and we were... I was really looking forward to getting a remodeling job out of the deal. But <laughs> just got her teeth fixed. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I share that actually to talk about <laughs> being under the influence. That's really what we're talking about this morning. And there are a lot of ways you can be under the influence. And uh, if you've ever received a, uh, a ticket or known someone who has, where under the influence is a part of that, it can be a very serious thing. However, talking about different kind of influence here, here's where we're looking. First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Peter has been talking about uh, the salvation that we are receiving because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And then he says, starting in verse 10, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. 
It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. i pause there for a second. What Peter is saying is, this salvation that has come to you is something that even the prophets who prophesied it didn't fully understand it. They didn't get to see what we've gotten to see. They didn't get to hear about what we've gotten to hear about. They knew bits and pieces, and they really wanted more. You may remember that John the Baptist, Jesus said that he was the uh, greatest of all the prophets, and that anyone in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Why is that the case? I think this is why it's the case. Because all the prophets had been saying, the Messiah is going to come. God's going to send the one. He's going to come. He's going to come. He's going to come. Each one had a little bit uh, more that God had shown them of what he was going to be like. But none of them had a full picture. But they all knew he was coming. And then John the Baptist comes and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He actually doesn't, he doesn't say he's coming someday. He says, he's right there. There he is. So he gets to see more than any of the other prophets that had come before him. Who this Messiah was. What he was going to be like. And yet, he dies before Jesus goes to the cross. Before Jesus dies for our sins and before he's raised to life and power. And this is why Jesus says, anyone in the kingdom of God, anyone on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, is actually in a greater position than even John the Baptist. Because now we don't just know who the Messiah is or what he's kind of like, but we know what he has done for us. And that is an amazing thing. And it's, in fact, so amazing that he says even angels long to look into these things. It's not just that the prophets a long time ago wanted to see what this was about. It's even the angels. Marvelous. And you look all the time through Jesus' uh, birth and his death, his resurrection, we see angels showing up. And they keep being excited to share the news of what's going on. It's amazing stuff. So who is, uh, so we're talking about being under the influence though. Did you notice who the prophets were under the influence of? It says the prophets were actually under the influence of the Spirit of Christ. Even back in the Old Testament, they were under the influence of the Spirit of Christ. This is how they were able to prophesy what they did. As Peter writes in his second letter, he says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is why they were able to say things that were going to happen years from now. It wasn't like they just looked at uh, the kind of the lay of the land and said, well, this is the way things are headed, and I bet this is what's going to happen next. No. In fact, people who tend to predict like that don't do very well. <laughs> there have been there's a study I read about where they actually put professional uh, predictors <clears throat> up against a computer <clears throat> and, excuse me, <clears throat> right there. Um, they put them up against a computer and the predictors did slightly better than the computer at predicting what would happen. <clears throat> this is terrible. However, Thank you. 
But then it was revealed that the computer program had actually been predicted to always predict the same thing, which was no change. (laughs) Whatever the situation was, predicting no change was almost as accurate as anything that was being predicted. I should have had a water. Excuse me. I apologize. Dinah has gone to get me one, I'm sure. So so these prophets are not predicting based on their own interpretation of things, but it is the Spirit of God who is speaking through them. And as much as they are, as much as revealed to them, they still have so many questions. But what is that going to be like? What does that really mean? How is it possible that somebody could be the ultimate, like the priest of all priests, and at the same time be the prophet of all prophets, and at the same time be the king of all kings? How can all that be rolled into one person? How can somebody have victory over all the things that we're looking for them to have victory over, and at the same time suffer and die? How does that work? And looking forward, before Jesus, you got to throw your hands up and say, I don't know. I don't know how in the world that works. But then after Jesus, we look back. Instead of saying, I don't know, we say, hallelujah, and praise the Lord. Pardon me one moment. I'll save some for later. Hopefully that will help. Thank you. I have no idea where I was. I feel much better, though. Okay. We're moving on. Point two. (laughs) Point one was the prophets were under the influence of the Spirit of Christ, even in the Old Testament. And this is why they were able to predict what it is they were predicting, and yet they still didn't have a full picture of it. Okay, next point. Moving on to verse 13. Therefore, this is where it comes in. It's like, that's what was going on there. This is how big a deal it is. This is the amazing grace that it is. Therefore, here's what you do with this. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, bless you, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And again, we're going to stop right there. A few more verses, but stop here for now. With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This is the second time already we've seen the grace coming through. And you remember what grace is. Grace is not getting anything because you deserve it but it's somebody giving just because. And I will say it again. Granting rewards apart from credit earned. G-R-A-C-E, grace. Apart from credit earned. It has nothing to do with what you deserve. It's just given and given freely. And this is what uh, the prophets spoke about. And this is what Peter says, having been made aware of this, the perspective that we now have on this side of the cross on this side of the empty tomb says, therefore, how we should be living now is by having our hope set on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. We know who he is. We know what he's done. We know he's coming again. And here's the thing. We don't have to wonder when he comes back for final judgment 
Are we going to stand or fall? Are we going to pass or fail? Are we going to... If it's all based on what we've done and what we deserve, we should be afraid because we will fail. Unless maybe we try really, really, really hard between now and then. Except that we'll still fail. And we should still be very afraid. But if grace... But if grace has nothing to do with what we deserve, but everything based on what Jesus has already done and what he has deserved, and he gives it freely to us, then instead of saying, well, when Jesus comes, then we're going to have to pay... No, he's already paid. And so now we can look forward when Jesus comes and it's revealed. When Jesus is revealed that he is the king, he is the, uh, the Lord, and he has paid in full anything we've ever owed. Now, we can set our hope on that. Well, that's a whole different way of living. That is a whole different way of living. And now there are people who are saying, but wait, so does that mean our behavior, we can just do anything? Well, kind of. Look at these next few verses. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. It's almost like Peter was reading our minds. Say, oh, it's all by grace, so I don't have to do anything to earn it, so why do anything? He says, here's why you do it. Because you were called to a whole different way of life. You were called to be children of a holy God. You were called to be set apart from the ways that were dragging you down and were destroying your life. Sometimes we think of holiness as being something that is um, unpleasant, the opposite of what we really want to do. But think about it this way. This is a uh, book by John Eldridge, The Utter Relief of Holiness, which he acknowledges may be strange. Just read you from the back of it. It says, It may seem strange at first, because I don't believe that most folks think of holiness as an utter relief. Hard, perhaps. Boring, if we're honest. Necessary, like flossing. A level of spirituality we might attain to one day, but a relief? Look at it this way, he says. Ask the anorexic young girl how she would feel if she simply no longer struggled with food, diet, exercise, if she simply never even gave it another thought. Ask the man consumed with jealousy how he would feel if he woke one day to discover that all he once felt jealous over was simply gone. Ask the raging person what it would be like to be free of rage, or the alcoholic what it would be like to be completely free from addiction. Take the things you struggle with and ask yourself, What would life be like if I never even struggled with this again? His answer? It would be an utter relief. An absolute, utter relief. I think this is what Paul is saying. He says the reason that we are to be holy is because God is holy. The reason that God calls us to be holy is to be in this relationship with him. And holiness is a part of that. But the thing is, He calls us to be his children, to be like him, not as a way of keeping us down, but as a way of raising us up into the people he created us to be, to live the lives that he's always wanted us to live. But we've never been able to, not on our own. 
And this is where it says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Ignorance of what? When we didn't know about Jesus. When we thought it was all up to us. When we thought all of life was really about just finding our own way to be happy and chasing that. We even write phrases like this into our founding documents, don't we? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We say, yeah, that's, that's what life's all about, right? Pursuing our happiness. Peter says no. Jesus said no. That's not what it's all about. In fact, if we're settling for happiness, we are missing out on so much more. Uh, C.S. Lewis said when we settle for things like happiness on the world's terms, he said it's like a child who goes on making mud pies in a slum because they have no concept, they have no understanding of what is offered to them by a vacation at the sea. We are offered so much more and we settle for so much less if we're living in ignorance. But there is a different way to live. And that is why Paul said, or Peter says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. In other words, not under the influence of the world systems. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as coming. And then, coming back once more to under the influence, to be under the influence of a whole new way of living, to be under the influence of the Spirit of God, who through Jesus makes possible to us a life that is an utter relief. Different, but holy has always meant different. Be holy, therefore, because God is holy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.